One Hope Church. It's a privilege to be here to worship the Lord together. Um, we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Um, we are going to tackle this morning the last verse of chapter 12. And then hopefully all of chapter 13, which is a lot. And there is a lot in here. Um, some of it we'll be able to cover in more detail than the rest. But you also have um, the house fellowships and, and things to have discussion and to ask questions with as well. And so that might be particularly helpful this week. But before we get into this, I, I want to just remind us again, especially if you're, if you're newer with us, as we go through this uh, book of Acts, and as we've uh, completed almost the first 12 uh, chapters, that the, the point of the, of the book is to see the fulfillment of the mission given by Jesus to his disciples, uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we have seen that already in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now others in other places coming um, to the Lord. We've seen both Jew and Gentile um, come to the Lord at this point. And, but now we are going to enter into a, a shift to where we're really getting um, the emphasis on going outward to those you know, outer parts um, and, and moving the gospel um, into new territories, into new places. And so um, we're going to see the beginning of that. This, this morning, as Acts chapters 13 and 14 has to do with the first uh, missionary journey of um, Paul and Barnabas. And so we'll begin that uh, this morning. But let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Ask the Lord to teach you what he wants you to take out of this morning. Because, there, again, there are lots of different segments and something may resonate with you this morning that doesn't resonate necessarily with the person next to you and vice versa. So just ask the Lord to speak to you this morning that you would take out of it what he would have for you to know and to learn today. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, we thank you, God, for your goodness as we've been singing and praying this morning. Um, we're thankful for your love and your power um, in our lives. We pray in all things you would go, us, go before us and that you would help us to be obedient and to follow you. I thank you for the obedience and the steps of faith we see, um, even in the, the passage this morning, and the lessons that we can learn and apply uh, to our lives. Uh, help us to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of you and of your greatness, dear God. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's, 1225 um, says, And Barnabas and Saul, uh, that's who we know as the Apostle Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and also they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now to chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. 
Uh, let's stop there for a moment because that's one of those, again, one of those uh, things where we can read those few verses and we can go, okay, that's cool. And we can just kind of quickly move through it and move past this and, and not really understand some of the implications um, that are at stake here. And so I want to just take a note of these five men that we, are, that we see here who are praying and fasting and who they are and where they're from. So Barnabas was a Jewish man from Cyprus, which is a Gentile region. He would have spoken Greek. He would have been very comfortable in both Jew and Gentile um, settings. Simeon, um, he had the Latin, Latin nickname Niger, which means black, indicating that he had a darker complexion. Um, and he also moved about in Roman circles. Um, there's another Simeon of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. And that we, are, that we see um, in the Gospels, we see him as one of the men who took Jesus' body off of the cross and laid it um, in the tomb. Whether that's the same Simeon here is debatable and probably not. But um, interesting to note, um, you know, that there are these people from different places and different um, areas that we see um, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Now, Lucius... Um, was from Cyrene in North Africa. And that's the third person that's mentioned here. Manaean, now he's a very interesting character because he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now this is the same Herod who had beheaded John the Baptist and who was um, at part of the trial of the Lord Jesus along with Pilate. You know, Jesus being sitting back and forth between the two. And you talk about taking two different roads of life between Herod the Tetrarch and Manaean, one who, you know, had John the Baptist beheaded and who uh, was, you know, part of the trial of Jesus and his and the childhood friend Manaean, who ends up being a disciple of Jesus and a leader in the church here at Antioch. And this is Antioch. There's a multiple Antiochs. This is the Antioch that's the third uh, most important city in the Roman Empire at this time on the Orontes River. Okay, and then we have Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church and sought its destruction. Um, and so he, again, he is not, um, he did not like grow up, although he was influenced and traveled to Jerusalem and, you know, taught and studied. Um, again, his original hometown is Tarsus. He's, again, someone um, that's more, had more experience and at large with the Roman Empire and Ro- the Roman ways. And was a Roman citizen. And again, we know him better as the Apostle Paul. And he'll start to be called that, as, be called Paul uh, more so and moving forward in, in this chapter. Um, and so again, we see that all of these men were traveled. We see that all of these men were multilingual. We see that all of these men were comfortable moving between Jewish and Gentile um, conversations and atmospheres. And so they had a, a deep um, understanding of, of what we've referred to as the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. Um, they had all of that, and they also had a very good understanding of Roman law and Roman thinking, Roman philosophy, um, the, cult, the various cultures, you know, even on the top of that, uh, in the different areas that they grew up in, whether it was in North Africa or in, or in um, Tarsus or in some other place. And so these are cosmopolitan men living in a cosmopolitan world 
and they have formed now a cosmopolitan church. Um, that is what the Lord has formed there in Antioch. And it's a church of the world, ultimately to reach the world. And so that's pretty cool to think about and how that relates to us today when we are, you know, we're a small church, but here we are in the city of Athens, Georgia, that has people from so many different places and nations. And even just looking around the room this, this morning and seeing people who are from or whose heritage is from various places in, in Europe. Some of us who are more European can't really necessarily tell you all. Um, of, well, I'm, I'm part Scottish. You might be able to see some of that in me. Um, in part German, in part English, and whatever else. And then, uh, you know, we have people from African descent, various nations within Africa and different people groups. And we have people from, you know, from China and from Korea and Brazil and Mexico and Costa Rica and the Philippines and India. And that's just all in this room this morning. And that's pretty awesome to think about who, what God is doing in this time here in the book of Acts in Antioch and what he's doing here in our church in Athens, Georgia. Um, as we are becoming a more multicultural church in order to reach a more a multicultural world. Kind of neat. Some neat parallels. <laughs> yeah, don't go for that. Always always up to cheer for that. Um, so now here's another thing about this church. As we see here, they are the people in this church are serious about the things of the Lord. Here we find them you know, this, this group of leaders, and they are praying and they are fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And that's um, a powerful, powerful little portion there because it's the, it's the Lord who calls them. And it's obvious that the Lord's called them through this prayer, through this fasting, through this uh, mutual understanding of what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing. Um, you know, of course, there's part of them that would want to just all stay together um, on until they all died or Jesus came back or, you know, whatever happened because they enjoyed the rich fellowship. They enjoyed the blessing of, of praying together and worshiping together. They would enjoy all of those things. And over the years, you know, we've experienced that, too, in our church family as people have come, come and gone. Uh, you know, we think about people who are serving the Lord in, in different places in our nation now, in different places, you know, in the world. And, you know, of course, there's part of us that would just say, okay, let's all just have everybody, you know, together all the time until we die. And that's going to, you know, that would be great. Well, for those of us who are on mission with Jesus, that's what we're going to look, that's what we look forward to. And that's what we're going to enjoy together in heaven. <laughs> that's around the throne of God. We get to enjoy that for eternity. But here in this short life on earth, God is going to move people around and call people and, you know, put people in different places. But it will always be here, as we see here, if it's of the Lord, it's always going to be for his mission and for the expansion of the gospel going forward into the lives of more people. And so that's always a good test to understand um, whether things are of the Lord or not. Is it going to, is this for the expansion of the gospel and to bring more people into the kingdom of God? Um, and so this is 
again, what we have consistently preached and taught here in this church is that we want everyone in our church to always have everything on the table before the Lord. And yet we also have that tension because sometimes we go, well, the Lord asked them to go and to do this, and I don't really necessarily like that because I, I want them to stay with me and where I am. You know, so we have that tension when it comes to sending because we, we love people in our church, you know. And so that's just part, part of the deal. But you can't be upset when you ask people to be obedient to do whatever Jesus asked them to do, and then they actually follow through with that and do that. <laughs> you know, that's kind of illogical, right? You know, so the questions that we always ask are, is it of the Lord? Is it for the, for the purposes and mission of Jesus Christ? So verse 4 says that being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And they arrived in Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John Mark as their assistant. And I'm just going to make a, just a, a, a little bit of a note there, because we're going to see in a few verses, and we're not going to talk a ton about John Mark this morning to get sidetracked with it, but... I would just note that it's interesting that when the Lord said, you know, separate Saul and Barnabas for the, for the work, you know, and to send them now, he didn't say anything about John Mark. And yet John Mark, they take John Mark with them. And, you know, it's hard to say with a def, any sort of like definitive authority that that was a mistake or that was the wrong thing to do. But it is interesting to note that it doesn't say the Holy Spirit told them to take John Mark with them as well. And he's going to end up leaving because things get too difficult. And that's going to cause some other problems further down the road. And perhaps John Mark wasn't actually ready to have gone in the first place. But the Lord in his grace is still going to work things out and, and use all of their lives for his glory over the long haul. Which is very comforting for those of us who end up making mistakes and or in situations where mistakes are made. But let's move on from that. It says, Now when they had gone to the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alumus the sorcerer, for her, so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mess fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so we see here that spiritual warfare can be intense at times, and sometimes there's a need or confrontation, I mean, Paul is not playing any sort of games here. When he looks at this man who is actively, willfully trying to keep someone else from believing in Jesus, 
What does Paul call that man? He says to him, you are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. That's strong. That's really, really strong. And sometimes, you know, I think in our day and time, we're, again, we, we live in this, in this culture where everybody's afraid to offend everybody, um, except for when they're not, you know, like, we just... Hey, I know this is going to offend a lot of people, and here it is out anyway. But, you know, we talk at least a good game about that. But sometimes, you know, it, 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 what it works out so many times is when we, when we don't need to be strong, when we don't need to, you know, throw it out there and to offend people, we tend to about things that don't matter that much. And then when there's something that actually does matter, crickets. We're like crickets. Just chirp, 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 chirp. But nothing of any substance. Because we're afraid of the backlash of standing up and saying, that's wrong, that's evil, that hinders people from knowing Jesus. Thankfully, Paul, it says here, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's really key. Because the reaction cannot be, even in a spiritual warfare, the reaction cannot be of the flesh. Because if Paul does the same thing, but it's not of the Spirit, and it's just of his flesh, there aren't good results. And so that's where it's key that it's not coming from just Saul's, Paul's bravado of, you know, I'm a man and I'm going to handle this situation, and I'm going to tell this dude what's up. Because I feel a need to. It's instead, it's he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this, we also have to see that though, you know, this, this man has now a dark mist and we don't hear anything else about him. But whether he takes it or not, that is his great opportunity to repent, to turn from his wickedness, to turn from his falseness and have a moment of reality and ask the living God to forgive. Forgive him, because remember that the same thing happened to Paul himself on the road to Damascus, where the Lord blinded him, and he and he was you know because he was persecuting the church and he was you know dragging people off into prison, and he you know and Paul took that and and humbled himself before the Lord. Whether this guy did, we don't get to, we don't see it. The fact that it's not told to us probably indicates. Not, but we don't know that for sure. And again, now we, not, we have another shift. We have a shift, um, again, that Saul is going to be referred to as Paul from now on, except for when he's giving testimony of his conversion, usually to a, a Jewish audience. Um, we have that later in the book of Acts. But the reason being is that the author Luke is showing a, a shift to a, a more Gentile-focused ministry. And that's, you know, a, a textual clue as the author is, is making this shift in how he re- refers from the Apostle Saul to now the Apostle Paul. And so he's going to use that Gentile name. And also at this point, we see Paul become the leader of the group. This, kind, this event kind of solidifies that. Um, as B- Barnabas is such a wonderful character because he doesn't fight this shift. You know, he's he's remember he's the one that went to Tarsus, you know, um, and sought out, you know, Paul and brought him to Antioch and 
you know, they worked and served together. But I think all along, Barnabas knew that at least in some ways, the one he was helping and building up would pass him in terms of, you know, the, the, the scope of the ministry and the power of the ministry that Paul would have. And, you know, whereas many people would become, you know, jealous about that and, you know, agitated because we care more about position and place on this earth than we do about the work of the kingdom so many times. We don't see that in Barnabas. But in verse 13, you know, we see the shift as Luke tells us, now when Paul and his party set sail. And that's not the way it begins, is even they, where they start out going, they go first back to Barnabas' homeland. But now there's been this shift, and Paul and his party, he becomes the leader of the group. They set sail from Paphos, and they came to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And we'll talk more about John Mark when the repercussions of all that play out, but just keep that in your minds uh, for now. And then verse 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. Again, it's another Antioch, common name, different place. And went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now you're talking about an open door. That's a great open door. Hey, you, you know, the apostles come and say, hey, if you, you know, we've heard, you know, they've, they've you know, heard some of the things that's happened and some of the things going on in the world with, um, you know, the, Jesus and, and Barnabas and Paul. And it's like, okay, let's, let's hear from these men and what, what they have to say. You know, and we need to be praying this way because there's a combination, right? The apostles here, they're not static. They're not just sitting in a room and just saying, I hope somebody shows up. I hope somebody comes along and talks to me. And then I can share with them. You know, no, they're going into the world and they're going to different places. But at the same time, I mean, you know, they're praying for open doors. And Paul even actually encourages us to pray for that. Pray for, you know, an open door to to share the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, with others. He wants people to pray that for him. And so, you know, we need to be going and at the same time praying for people to come to us and to say, do you have a a word of encouragement for me? Do you, do you, um, you know, I'm kind of going through a hard time. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. You know, and, and what's really interesting about those conversations, again, when we're not seeing with spiritual eyes and hearing with spiritual ears, somebody comes and says, hey, I'm having this problem with my my boyfriend or girlfriend or my spouse and we'll keep the conversation just talking about that as opposed to the taking the big open door that that is to talk about the bigger things of life and talk about the relationship with God. Somebody comes and says, Hey, I want to talk to you. You know, I'm, I'm graduating and I, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do and where am I going to go and what job I'm going to have. And we'll talk about all those practical things without mentioning what's your bigger purpose in life. And why are you really on this planet? And we miss all those open doors that are before us every day because we see, we're seeing with the physical and we're hearing with the physical and we're ignoring so many times the spiritual that is right there before us. 
And especially when you're in a university town and you have, you know, student after student, what's the big question? What am I going to do when I graduate? And some of them know the job and some of them know the location, but most of them still don't have any idea as to why. Yeah, and so I, Friday I'm, I was up at um, the Ramsey Center playing a little basketball and sitting there, there's this guy who's a senior, going to graduate in May. He's like, I still don't know what I want to do. You know, I'm going to get this degree, but I don't want to just have a job or I'm sitting in a cubicle. Okay, well, sometimes you have to sit in a cubicle. But um, as you know, many of us know and have, have lived, but the bigger issues was you know, what's going to actually bring you joy and peace in your life? And because the reality is, I've seen the person, you know, who seems like they have it all, and they're miserable. I've seen the person who seems like they have it all, and they they have a lot of joy. And I've seen the person who has nothing, and they have joy. And I've seen the person who has nothing, and they're miserable. So apparently, the answer isn't in the stuff. The answer isn't in the stuff. The answer isn't in the location. The answer isn't in the job. The answer isn't in the, even the person. Because I love my wife and kids, but there's still a hole in my heart that they can't fill. Because it's a God-shaped hole. And I love what I do, but there's a hole that that can't fill. Because it's a God-shaped hole. And I love my city, but there's a place that it can't fill because it's a God-shaped hole. And so what we find is person after person, person after person, going through life trying to figure out the answers when there's only one solution, ultimately, and that's Jesus. And so, you know, I could sit there and talk to that senior and say, okay, well, let's talk about your options and, and what sort of work and, you know, what sort of companies might fit and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But the best thing I can do for him is to say, what were you actually created for and what is your purpose on this earth? And before you graduate, I challenge you to read the Gospel of John and ask God to show you what it is. Ask God to show you what it is. And, you know, and you don't get this response every time, but he said, well, that sounds like really good advice. And yes, not everybody is willing to listen. Not everybody is willing to, to care beyond what they think they want. As we see, we'll see even here as we continue in this chapter. But what we also see here in this chapter is that there are those who are willing to say yes to Jesus. Like this man Paulus, which is really the same name that Paul has, they have that in common, this Roman official who now becomes a follower of Jesus, he believed, 
when he saw what had been done and being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So it was that combination. He saw the power of God, but he also saw the message of God. And that together made a difference.